Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Saturday, January 20th, day 106 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borshel Dan here with a one-on-one conversation with our U.S. Bureau Chief, Jacob Magid. Hello, Jacob. Hey, Amanda. Thanks for having me again. Pleasure. We have a lot to discuss, including a first phone call between Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and President Joe Biden Friday evening. It was their first conversation in 27 days. All this and much, much more when we're back. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachuk Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. For some headlines. According to the New York Times, a senior Israel defense commander now believes that Israel's two stated goals of destroying Hamas and freeing the hostages are not compatible. The U.S. ratings agency Moody's is planning to downgrade Israel's credit rating due to the war with Hamas, Ynet reports. Commanders from Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guards and Lebanon's Hezbollah group are on the ground in Yemen helping to direct and oversee Houthi attacks on Red Sea shipping, according to Reuters. Jacob, we ran a news brief a short time ago stating that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has denied telling U.S. President Joe Biden that he has not ruled out the creation of a Palestinian state. Kind of feels like a double negative there. And the comments out of the Biden administration are also somewhat murky that it's, quote, not impossible to create a Palestinian state. So, is this intentional murkiness or is it just a very difficult conversation and the aftermath is equally difficult to decipher? Yeah, um, from one official I spoke with, the conversation wasn't a horrible one um, compared to other ones they had. The last one they had 27 days ago, Biden basically hung up on Netanyahu and said this conversation's over after Netanyahu kind of dragged his feet regarding this issue of the Palestinian Authority's tax revenues that Israel's refusing to transfer to them. And, and the U.S. is really pushing on Israel to get that done. And it's possible that that will happen on Sunday. There's a vote that's coming to the cabinet on that after months of, of delays. So it wasn't as negative, but they did discuss this issue that there are clear divides on, which is the question of a Palestinian state of whether Israel is willing to accept a two-state solution after the war. We got um, the Biden administration has this whole idea that after the war, Saudi Arabia and four other Arab countries in the region will help play a role in the reconstruction of Gaza 
and Saudi Arabia is willing to also normalize relations with Israel on the condition that this will Israel will agree to create what they call a pathway to a Palestinian state. They're not even asking specifically for um, a Palestinian state to be created tomorrow. They recognize that the current PA is, needs to go un- undergo significant reforms and, and is not ready to, to have a full state. But we want to go in that direction. And all we need from Israel is to just agree in principle, basically, to that and maybe take some steps in the West Bank away from annexation. Um, that's basically what's expected of Israel. And Netanyahu, um, during when this proposal was brought up to him, while U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken was in town last week, um, basically Netanyahu just rejected it, according to this major NBC report that came out on Wednesday. Um, so, but the on the call, Biden basically brought it up again. And I think, from what I understand from one source, Netanyahu um, tried to walk back comments he had made the day before where he basically really ruled out a Palestinian state, knowing that this really upsets the Americans. Um, so he tried to smooth it over vaguely um, in a way that was understood by some U.S. officials, or at least what it's what they wanted to hear, that Netanyahu wasn't totally ruling out the Palestinian idea of a Palestinian state. And that's why when Biden was asked by reporters after, after the call how to go, he said that or he was asked whether they think it's impossible um, for a Palestinian state to be created while Netanyahu is prime minister. And he said, not impossible. Um, so that's kind of the, the U.S. narrative. I think Netanyahu knows what he's doing as well. And he knows that in the calls with Biden, he can make, play it kind of murky and say, well, I don't know, it's somewhat possible, but obviously it has to be demilitarized, which is what Biden also, and even the PA says as well. Um, and and then afterwards, kind of just block actual steps that that are required to get us there. Um, I think he's very good at playing that role of kind of two-siding this, of dealing with his coalition and, and, and the majority of Israelis at this point, they don't want to talk about a two-state solution right now, right after October 7th, um, while also not overly upsetting the Biden administration. He did issue the statement from his office basically saying that no, that Palestinian sovereignty um, goes against my idea of from the river to the sea of Israeli security control, which was a controversial statement after given Israel's objections to that phrase. Uh, but basically, kind of being pretty clear that he's against it um, when he gives the statements in Hebrew and then when he's speaking to Biden in English, being a little bit um, more gray about the possibility there. So he's trying to kind of dance at both weddings, I guess. Today is January 20th, and the first fact I learned after moving from Canada to the United States is that this is the day that presidents are inaugurated on. And I wonder how much of this conversation is for both of these players, for Biden and for Netanyahu, really talking to their electorate. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Uh, I think that's always been the feeling for many Israelis and the Biden administration that Netanyahu is definitely campaigning. Um I think the past few press conferences that he's held are where he talks about the same thing every time that the war will continue um, and not, nobody will stop us and I'm not going to allow the Palestinian Authority to return to the Gaza Strip. Um, saying this over and over again when holding a press conference to not say anything new clearly shows that you're in campaign mode and that's what a lot of Israelis feel, that's what the Biden administration feels. But also clearly um, Biden's less than a year away from election and he's got to take that into account um, and he recognizes that the way to kind of soften the blow of his quote-unquote staunch support for Israel um, is to, for for some of his more progressive um, supporters, is to at least be talking at the same time about 
um, a Palestinian, the future Palestinian state, a two-state solution, because this is something that is still very popular um, and important to many Democrats who are maybe a bit more wary about supporting him now, um, given how his stances on the war have been. So I think absolutely that's these are this is playing a role. Um, but I would say that at the same time, these are both positions that both sides have taken for the, for decades. And I mean, a lot of people say Netanyahu was always in campaign mode, which is part of the, the calculus. I think when he on his recent press conference on Thursday, he was basically saying, I'm the only prime minister when um, there was an NBC report that said that because Netanyahu rejected the plan from um, from Blinken, that the, the Biden administration was now planning for a quote unquote post Netanyahu era. And Netanyahu said, well, a post-Netanyahu era is really what they mean to say by that is a post, an era where there will be a two-state, well, there will be a two-state solution in a Palestinian state. Basically saying, I'm what's standing in, in the way of a Palestinian state. And it's funny because that's what he was saying before October 7th also. I'm the only prime minister that can stand up to American pressure um, and, and block a Palestinian state. So that very much obviously campaign mode, but it's also something that he's said that he, he's done his whole career, that he's he's kind of played very carefully with the Americans, willing to negotiate um, privately behind closed doors, but never actually make the moves that are necessary for a two-state solution. And Biden also has been someone who's his whole career has talked about a two-state solution and obviously not been very successful in bringing it about. Um, but it's not something new that he's talking about it now. Um, of course, the campaign's imp- impact, I think the timing of these messaging and, and the emphasis on it. But these are both um, sides of the coin that uh, being against a two-state solution to Netanyahu's end and being for one and Biden's end that are not necessarily new or only made on the campaign trail. Now, within the Democratic Party, there was some murmuring out of two very prominent Jewish senators this week, one Bernie Sanders and the other Chuck Schumer. Now, I understand that the Chuck Schumer rumor was just that, a rumor. Tell us what happened there. Right. So, Chuck Schumer um, was asked this week while on the Hill whether he, um, how the Democrats are pursuing this issue of conditioning aid to Israel, which is what a lot of um, more progressive par- parts of the party are increasingly talking about. Obviously, Bernie Sanders is leading that charge that there needs to be, he tried to get through this resolution that would require the State Department to put together a report within 30 days, um, ensuring that Israel is not using U.S.-made weapons or weapons that the U.S. transfers to Israel in order to commit war crimes against the Palestinian people in Gaza. Um, This was roundly rejected. I think there were 70-something senators who rejected this proposal. Only, I think, 11 um, backed it, uh, 10 progressive Democrats, and then Rand Paul, who's, uh, again, I think, uh, always taken these kinds of stances uh, against foreign aid and, and the like. So completely rejected, and and Schumer was asked about, okay, are, are you moving forward on this issue? Because there's still clearly some in your party that um, are trying to um, condition aid, um, and you, you have to take them into account. And he basically said, look, we're discussing it. I think it was just a way to put the issue away. Um, but he was misquoted by some in Israeli media to say that we're having discussions about conditioning aid, which is really not something that can happen in, even in this Democratic Party led by Joe Biden, who is against it, but also uh, this Congress where, I mean, you need bipartisan support to get anything done. And, and there's no chance that a Republican Party and most of the Democratic Party, for that matter, would agree to this kind of talk. Thanks. We'll go to a short break. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a 4x4. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. 
Israel Story's Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their like blankie, their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. The Biden administration announced on Wednesday that it was redesignating Yemen's Houthi rebels as a terrorist organization, partially restoring sanctions it lifted three years ago on the Iran-backed militia group, whose repeated attacks in the Red Sea since Hamas's October 7th terror onslaught have significantly disrupted shipping in the key maritime corridor. Now, as we know, of course, the U.S. and the U.K. are leading the strike against this rebel group. Was that part of the calculus in redesignating them as terrorists? Yes, I think they want to be able to justify their increased strikes. There's been six strikes uh, over the past few days, which is definitely unprecedented. We haven't seen this before. Um, and this extra step of now designating the Houthis as a specially designated global terrorist um, is another lever that the U.S. is hoping to use to thwart some of the finances that are going to the Houthis. Um, they didn't take the move, however, to redesignate them as a foreign terrorist organization. And this would have been the strongest sanction they could have included. It would have meant travel bans for anyone um, as associating with the Houthis in any way um, and other financial steps um, that would have been blocking any sort of cooperation with the Houthis. They took this less intense step because the fear was that if we designate them as a, what's called an FTO, a foreign terrorist organization, we're going to prevent a lot of aid groups from getting uh, humanitarian assistance into Yemen, which was a real issue or a real concern when Trump added these two labels on at the very last few days of his um, days in office in 2021. Um, there was a real freak out from aid organizations. And on the ground, it was starting to happen where Basically, no aid organizations could get any assistance in because all these imports were being blocked due to all these sanctions. Um, and the Biden administration, within days of entering office, removed these both of these labels because of those reasons and tried to pursue some sort of diplomatic effort to bring in the Houthis, even though they recognize their, ext their extreme um, nature. They're part of this, I think, this axis of resistance that, that includes Iran and Hezbollah and Hamas. Um, but there was a hope that maybe a different approach to the Houthis will end their 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 very malign um, actions, and it did work to a degree that they were the Biden administration was able to help bring about a closing to this war in Yemen, or at least a, a ceasefire that's been that's been held. Um, but since the the war in Gaza, since October seventh, where we've seen these dozens of attacks on shipping routes in the Red Sea, that the, the feeling was we don't have a choice, that we can't be allowing any sort of rebel group to take the step. And we're going to designate them as an SDGT um, and hope that that is enough to A, deter the Houthis on the one hand, and B, not impact the humanitarian situation in Yemen on the other. So it's a delicate balance. Clearly, it's not working in the regard that the Houthis have not stopped their attacks. 
Um, but the Biden administration is also pledging to continue its steps of, of trying to deter them in its own ways. What group would be on the FTO list, if you can uh, name one or two? Sure. I mean, Hamas is a FTO, Hezbollah is a FTO. Um, I'm pretty sure the IRs, the Iran's um, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps is on that, that list as well. Um, so I guess the Houthis are one step away. Okay. But at the same time, they're still considered, shall we say, lovable rebels by hundreds of Students for Justice in Palestine students who in Columbia University's campus in New York on Friday were chanting anti-Israel slogans and hailing the Houthis. What happened there? Yes, so hundreds were rallying at Columbia University's campus in New York. Um, They had just come back from, I guess, a winter vacation. Um, And this is one of their first rallies of the semester. Well, notably, though, this, this, the group that is said to have organized the protest, Students for Justice in Palestine, was actually suspended from the campus for the remainder of the year. Um, but clearly they aren't deterred or the university has no way to enforce this, even though if the, the hundreds were there. So they clearly put out um, some sort of flyer to organize the event so people know it was happening. Um, and yet there were no steps taken by the university, it appears, to have tried to stop this. And what we saw were hundreds chanting um, some pretty uh, incendiary quotes that you heard. There was, there's no, there's only one solution, intifada, red evolution, um, glorifying the deadly Palestinian uprisings that included all these uh, suicide attacks against Israelis um, years ago. Um, but one of the other crazy chants that I think made a lot of people scratch their heads was uh, this one that we've heard in some other rallies, but seeing young students on the college campus in America say it is always a bit startling, which was Yemen, Yemen, make us proud, turn another ship around. Um, and Yemen is referring to the Houthis. Uh, the Houthis took over Yemen and have used slavery. Um, they're an <laughs> extreme, extreme group that are being praised by these college students because they happen to also um, turn ships around in the Red Sea that aren't even, most of them have nothing to do with Israel or the U.S. Um, they're just targeting random ships in the Red Sea and, and disrupting shipping. And I, I assume these, these, these kids are buying stuff on Amazon that's, that's also being impacted by that. So I assume they, they wouldn't like that so much. But um, I, I guess they don't think, see the irony there of, of cheering of what now is considered a U.S.-considered terror group. Um, but one of the many um, signs that were, or chants that were made at this, I think, very extremist rally um, on an American campus in New York. Really, really distressing to hear. Jacob, thank you for all of your updates today. Thanks for having me, Amanda. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by The Pod Waves. If you have a question about this or any other episode, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. Shalom.